Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What was it that began appearing in the sky over Phoenix, Arizona in March 1997? What did I see from a plane flying over Phoenix at night nearly 10 years later? What are the Phoenix lights? Welcome to the 964th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Paul Eno, flying solo today because my son and partner in the paranormal, Ben, is taking a well-deserved day off. You can send questions to paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Joining us for the first time in 10 years, that's 635 shows ago, Dr. Lynn Katai is an internationally acclaimed physician and health educator who set aside her medical career to co-author The Phoenix Lights, a skeptic's discovery that we are not alone, and to produce the award-winning Phoenix Lights documentary. Most recently, Dr. Lynn has worked on The Phoenix Lights Beyond Top Secret. She holds an undergraduate degree from Temple University and took her medical degree at the Temple University School of Medicine in 1974, completing her postgraduate studies at the Medical College of Pennsylvania. Her website, thephoenixlights.net. Dr. Lynn Katai, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hello, it's such a joy to be with you, Paul, and your wonderful audience, and it's been a while, and so much has happened. Well, like uh, a lot say, more time flies when you're having fun. Right, right, right. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. What are the Phoenix Lights, and what is their history? Um, that is a great question. It's still a wonderful mystery. Uh, actually, the Phoenix Lights mass sighting is now hailed as the most witnessed, most documented, and most important mass anomalous aerial sighting in modern history, if not all of history. And for me, it was just another night. I actually happened to be a key witness uh, who was seeing and documenting on film, the only one with 35-millimeter photographs of these phenomena up close and personal in 95. If anybody's here and a um, computer and they would like to go to the website, the phoenixlights.net, um, Phoenix Lights Network website, and go to the photo page. It's, it's really um, mind-boggling, the unique collection I have of these anomalous aerial phenomena, UAP, that have been analyzed extensively by military and university optical experts, and no one can give me an answer. It's still uh, an unknown. They're in the negative. That's what's so beautiful about the 35-millimeter. They're in the negative. They cannot be explained or denied. And my first sighting actually was two years before the mass sighting, without any interest or knowledge in this topic at all. In fact, both my husband and I are healthy skeptics. You must be when you're a physician. He's also a physician, and uh, anybody that walks through the door. But here we have a home, and if you're on that website, Phoenix Lights Network website, and can look at the first picture, you'll see the topography from our home. We're pretty high on the mountain in Paradise Valley and have a panoramic view of the city skyline. And Phoenix, the Valley of the Sun, is surrounded by mountains. So we're high on a mountain overlooking the Valley of the Sun, and in the distance you'll see the airport and South Mountain and the Estrella Mountains. And we were pretty familiar with what planes and helicopters and streetlights and car lights and so forth look like. 
And this started off for me on February 6th, the eve of my birthday. I don't believe in coincidence anymore. Um, but it happened to be a, an amazing gift because my husband was standing at one wall of our bedroom as a window. And he was talking to my mother-in-law, back east. We're from Philadelphia. moved out here to Phoenix in 1980. And she was calling to wish me a happy birthday. And he was on several state and hospital medical boards. So nothing ever ruffled his feathers. And he sounded alarmed. And I was in an adjacent room in the bath and taking a leisurely bath. And uh, he said, what the hell is that? Get over here quick. And I grabbed my tail, wringing wet come to his side and a little below us, as I said, we're very high on the mountain. We're kind of nestled in a mountain range and it is gated. So there is no way, no way this was military. And here we're looking at three orbs in a pyramid formation, one on top and two closely aligned underneath, a little below us. And immediately I looked underneath to see if someone was creating it, even though someone shouldn't have been there. And there was nothing pitch black. And I thought to myself, whoa, this is so unusual. Um, but my, my video camera was downstairs. So I tried to take everything in mentally, the size, the shape, the color. They were about three to six feet each. And I always go back to this sighting because it's so vivid in my mind even until today. They were definitely oval shaped. I always said they were like an egg on its side. But in reality, when you hear from the Nimitz Navy pilots that what they've been witnessing and filming are oval shaped or lozenge shaped and there were three distinct objects very closely aligned and I call them an orb because the light did not extend outside the edge. It was self-contained um, and a, a very uniform amber color. It didn't glare at all. Every other light out there glared. These did not. Very mesmerizing, very soothing and I thought if I don't get a picture of this no one's going to believe it. And I collect sunsets, and I keep my camera in the, in the closet handy. So I go running for the camera, 35 millimeter, and my husband calls me back. He said, get over here quick. One of them is disappearing. And as we watched, the top orb, without budgeting from the other two, started to shrink very, very slowly, mechanically, as if there was a, an intelligent presence behind it. Again, I always go back to this sighting because I saw this up close and personal. They were just yards from our home and getting smaller and smaller, almost like a dimmer switch. It's difficult to describe in, in uh, prosaic terms until it was pea size and then disappeared. And even though it disappeared, it still felt like it was there, as if it had cloaked or something. Anyway, I jump out on the balcony, get a quick picture of the two lower orbs, and you can see that on the Phoenix Lights Network website. That's the second picture. And immediately noticed an eerie silence, as if time had stopped. It was just bizarre. And going through my mind at that moment, and it took me over two years so after the mass sighting two years later to even share this with anyone, it felt like there was an intelligent presence watching me. And going through my mind, I was thinking, who are you? Where are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. The next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to shrink, and I quickly took a picture of that. That was the only one that turned out at the time, but for me, it was confirmatory that we did see something unusual. I had no idea what these things were, but nonetheless, I got a picture at the time. That was the only one that turned out at the time on a 35-millimeter strip of one half disappeared and one orb still there, but I didn't even know who to show it to. 
So I, I just wondered for two years what this advanced technology was right outside our bedroom window. Lo and behold, and this is really important data because most people don't know this story. Let me just interject here. There is so much misinformation and disinformation out there that after seven years of anonymity, after thousands of people saw what I had seen in March 13, 1997, for two years prior, I pushed my whole medical career aside to try to find a prosaic answer to what I had witnessed and photographed. I have yet to find it. If anything, it opened up a whole new world to me. And as a scientist, I have tried to be as scientific as possible with the data. As a physician, ultimately, um, and I wanted people to know that they're not alone, even though most anomalies can be explained. Only a small percentage cannot. But just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. We may just be looking on the AM dial for an FM frequency. So it's time we get this topic out in the open, we address it, we accept it, and study it so we can find out to answer your question, not only who's driving these things, but move forward in our own evolution. And certainly as an experiencer, I know how it felt. And it's very important for people who have a paranormal experience, even though it might be able to be explained, to share it even with one person, and I always welcome people to, to look me up on Phoenix, Phoenix Lights Network website, right at the top of the home page, you can contact me, or the Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page also, uh, you can message me there, because sharing is cathartic and healing, and certainly as an educator, and for the last 50 years, I've actually dedicated my life's work to educating the, the public on vital health issues. Um, my, my dossier is, is very long on curriculum that I've done for schools and so forth. So that's what's so ironic about this because, again, when this fell in my lap, I had no idea or knowledge of this topic at all. And for two years after that 95 close sighting, I wondered, Paul, what this advanced technology was, and suddenly... I'm up in the bedroom, and as I said, <laughs> when anything pops up out there, we usually see it. And I noticed three huge amber orbs at a distance far west, and I just watched them for minutes. And they, I was thinking, whoa, I mean, strangely similar to 95. They're, they're huge, and they're at a, at a distance, and they're in an equidistant line, but they're amber, they're hovering for minutes, and it looked like they imploded or shrunk from right to left and I even mentioned it to my hubby which is interesting because everybody comes from a different background different upbringing different belief system different worldview some people can't deal with this topic some people don't want to and that's okay everyone in their own time and he didn't want to talk about it <laughs> after the, the close sighting I, it doesn't make sense to me because to me it was awesome and, and wondrous but um, I mentioned it to him uh, about these lights at a distance he said do I still have to go to work tomorrow he made a joke out of it the next night he was at a medical board meeting and here's where it really starts getting interesting and important because I get up to the bedroom I notice the same three lights are now far south in front of the mountain, South Mountain, near the airport. And I knew they were in front of the mountain because there's red blinking lights on top of the mountain to alert people to 
jets or whatever coming into Sky Harbor International Airport that there's a mountain there. And I figured, okay, enough. <laughs> I go run downstairs. I grab my video camera. I get outside. Got about 18 seconds worth. The battery went dead. Okay, I run inside. I took, put the battery uh, in the socket, and I run outside. They were gone. About a half hour later, about 8.30, my husband comes up the drive, very steep drive, and I went outside and I said, honey, remember I told you about the lights that I saw far south, far north last night? Well, about half an hour ago, they were right in front of South Mountain. As I'm pointing, like this, they reappear in the same spot. They're not kidding. And I figured, okay, I'm, and I, again, I don't believe in coincidence. In video, it doesn't do the lights justice. They're much smaller, they're white, they flicker. Even though the formations themselves are very compelling, they could be mistaken for something else. But I run upstairs, I grab my 35 millimeter, I get out on the balcony. As I'm ready to shoot the three, suddenly six lights pop on above the three. Massive span, over a mile wide, totally equidistant from each other. In fact, it was so unnerving. If you look at that first picture in the January 23rd, 1997 series, it's wavy because I was shaking. Not having an explanation for 95, it was like, whoa, is this a, a mothership or a fleet or whatever? But I kept clicking away. And the second picture, to me, is a smoking gun. Because if you look at that picture, it looks like a V of five lights, one in the middle, which is the brightest, and two on each side, with two underneath. Well, two months later, when thousands of people were outside looking up at the sky at the Hellbop Comet, we will get to this, and also got a glimpse of some incredible technology, many thousands described what they saw as five lights in a V with two trailing lights. Now, this is two months before the mass sighting, and I kept clicking away, and it looked like this formation was turning and did not sleep well that night. The next morning I got up, I figured, okay, there has to be a logical explanation for this. I'll just search it out. The night before, I actually called the Arizona Republic as the lights underneath, the three lights underneath were disappearing, and said, you have to get somebody out there quick. There's strange lights in front of South Mountain, and tell me what they might be. And by the time I finished, they were gone. So the first call I made was to the Arizona Republic, and I said, we saw some strange lights in front of South Mountain last night. Did anybody call to report them? She got off. She got right back on. She said, nope, nobody called. Well, I know I called. So I said, well, I'm just trying to search out a logical explanation. Um, who can I get in touch with? She says, well, sometimes Luke Air Force Base, which isn't too far from Phoenix, sends out experimental maneuvers, and they don't tell the public about them. Okay, that makes sense. Now I had it. Just follow it up. So I call Luke Air Force Base, try to be very professional. I said, my husband and I are both physicians. We live mountainside in Paradise Valley, and we saw some strange lights in front of South Mountain last night. You could tell me what they might have been. And from the get-go, Paul, she had an attitude. She said, they didn't come into Luke Air Force Base. They didn't come out from here. So we had nothing to do with them. I said, well, be that as it may, we did see something unusual. Um, I'm just trying to search out what they might be. She said, well, you said it was near the airport. Maybe they saw something there. Aha, now it was a mission. <laughs> so I called the FAA. Again, try to be very professional. Uh, operator was very sweet, and she said, maybe air traffic controller saw something last night. I said, could you please ask? She finally gets back on. She says, yes, it was a group. 
that actually saw some strange lights appear over Class B restricted airspace. There's a 30-mile radius around the center of the airport. Anyone that comes into that airspace, especially 1,000 feet that these were, must call into the tower, and no one did. I said, please, can I speak with someone who was there last night? Is there anyone here this morning? She said, I think there's a couple of guys here. Let me see what I can do. Leaves me hanging for like five minutes, finally. And this guy I met subsequently, and he's a really low-key guy. He was more excited than me. He said, did you see this? We're seeing this in front of each other, hovering in information last night at 8.30. I said, yes, that's why I'm calling. He said, I can't believe you saw them at a distance because they popped up at 8 o'clock. Three popped up. I said, I saw them too. He said they got alarmed because nobody should be there that didn't call into the tower. They looked on radar, did not show up on radar. They disappeared. When they six popped up at 8.30, they really got alarmed. Looked on radar, did not show up on radar. They took their high-power binoculars to look. And in his own words, he said there were six points of light, totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide that seemed to be attached to something. But they couldn't quite see what these lights were attached to, which you would hear again from thousands of people two months later, or had a force field in between these lights, holding them in rock-solid formation. And he was a meteorologist as well, another little coincidence, because he said the entire thing turned, and we're talking over a mile wide, as a unit against the wind. Significant data. Yes. It slowly and then moved in synchrony behind South Mountain. So I said, so what was it? And there was silence. And then he said, beats me. I said, you're in air traffic control. You're supposed to know it's in our airspace. They rolled out every conventional aircraft, balloons, Chinese lanterns, um, flares, even skydivers with lights. We stayed in communication. I continued photographing these phenomena up until and including March 13, 1997. Okay. Did you have any, do you want to interject at this point? Uh, yes, actually. <laughs> There are uh, several points that you raised that I thought were uh, important. One is uh, we're always saying that today's paranormal is tomorrow's science. So, as you say, um, on the other hand, there were well. Well, first of all, l- l- let me get straight wh- where your house faces. Now, you, you're on a mountain to the north of the city or the west? North. North. So you're looking south. Exactly. Okay. Now, you say that these were very close. Uh, the the ones in 95 were right outside our bedroom window, literally and figuratively, right outside our bedroom window. And interesting, I'm glad you brought that up, because if you look at the 1995 photographs, which we didn't have analyzed till three years later by Navy optical physicist Dr. Bruce McAbee, and there's a big story to tell. I don't think we're going to have time oh, today, God. but his conclusion was amazing. He actually noticed that the same exact phenomena in a line, the, the lights and equidistant formation in a line, were in the same exact location in 95 when we were looking at the close orbs. And interestingly, on March 13, 1997, during the mass sighting, a number of people saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it later. I don't know, is that what happened in 95? The point being that the same exact phenomena were in the same exact location two years before the mass sighting disappearing in the distance when the closed orbs were disappearing as well. Okay. Significant data. 
Yeah. So it wasn't just March 13th. Let's get that clear. <laughs> There's a, a much more to this story. Now, Does that answer uh, your question? Now, I, I was, uh, I'm a little bit torn on the phenomenon. Now, now, I saw the lights myself from an airplane in 2007. We, we were, Ben and I were headed to San Diego to do a program and, um, we were, uh, on a red eye flight from Atlanta to San Diego. And of course, I think I'm the only one on the plane who wasn't asleep except for the pilots, I hope. And, uh, Ben, uh, wasn't even sitting with me. And he goes, even today, you're lucky you're on the same plane, never mind, um, you know, the same seat. So I happened to look out. I knew it was Phoenix. We were flying over. And just to the west of the city, there were these three lights that looked just like the Phoenix lights. And, and uh, you know, I, I spent 12 years associated with the military, albeit in a reserve uh, capacity, but I did a lot of active duty. I know what flares look like, and flares uh, are a, a common uh, explanation for these things. But as I was going by, albeit at 33,000 feet, you know, whipping by who knows how fast, one of the lights detached and looked like it headed for the ground. And um, But then that was all I saw. But but the next day we, we uh, got to uh, San Diego, and in the paper they said they'd seen the Phoenix lights the night before. I wish I could give you the exact date. I can find it for you. So um, I, I like to think I've seen them myself. On the other hand, in 2010... Uh, you were on this show with Kyle Dayton, who was also a researcher on this subject. And one of you sent me some video of the phenomena. And in the midst of that was the video of a, of a, of a small plane taking off with three triangular lights on the bottom. And that said to me, hoax? I mean, what? Uh, so I'm a little torn. Obviously, you know, in, in these phenomena, there are always people who try to hoax things, you know, after the fact. You know, they're aware. So right. that, that, that's possible. But how that even got in there, I don't know. Um, maybe I hadn't Kyle, heard about that, by the way, Paul. <laughs> so yeah, that's a new one. Kyle that's a new one. But anyway, yeah. I, I can dig them out and, and find it for you. Uh, and then in uh, 2008, there was a man who came forward, as you, as you know, who claimed that he was the hoaxer. Oh, gosh. Had, uh, now, let's, let, let me dispel any of this, okay? Yeah, sure. Number one, that's what makes this so unique and so important. And one of the main reasons I came forward, Paul, because I did not want to come forward, okay? There was so much snickering and ridicule and um, discrediting, and, and I was an accomplished physician at the time and actually pushed my medical career aside for seven years, uh, uh, remaining anonymous. I mean, only a handful of people knew who had these pictures because I was having them analyzed by university sure. and military optical experts. But the point is that I saw these up close and personal. Again, the same phenomena is in the background. They're in the negative 35 millimeter. Okay. They were over class B restricted airspace, not only two years before, but two months before. Okay. And during, I'll get to that because on March 13th, 1997, and this is another thing. Um, again, there's so much missing disinformation out there. It was so frustrating to hear stories like that, that it was a hoax, that it was flares or whatever. We'll get to that because the story as it unfolds is really intriguing in and of itself. And, hey, I'm open. I don't know what these things are. I just know that they are. <laughs> that yeah. I have 35-millimeter photographs that cannot be explained or denied that prove it. 
that proves that it happened. Whether that's proof of the true UAP, that's, you know, we'll see with time. But nonetheless, they're appearing worldwide and they have for centuries. That's a whole other story. But at any rate, on March 13, 1997, and this is also significant because thousands of people were outside purposely to catch a glimpse of the Hale-Bopp Comet, which was in the northwest sky, very clear. When they also caught a glimpse of mile to eight mile wide, that's a new one from 10 years ago. In 2017, I did a conference in Oregon for the 20th anniversary with Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, and we just spoke again in Denver a couple months ago. And he announced that from his data, and he's received hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of drawings and reports of the Phoenix sites from March 13th during the mass sighting, one of these objects, whether it was these orbs that looked like they were attached to something or in rock-solid formation or actual craft, one of them was eight miles wide. And also, in the media, and I get it that they picked from the eight to the ten time frame, a two-hour time frame, when most people were outside looking up at the sky at the Hale-Bopp Comet, saw something unusual and called the news and so forth. So they kind of honed in and focused on that. But the reality is that on March 13th, the mass sighting began at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. There were daylight sightings throughout Arizona. Five o'clock hour in New Mexico, Native Americans were seeing the same exact phenomenon. In the seven o'clock hour and beyond in California, the ten o'clock hour, two commercial airline pilots that were approaching Las Vegas called into radar to report one of these massive crafts was covering Las Vegas. And the sightings continued all the way until the next morning. And very credible people saw these throughout those hours until 5.30 the next morning when a Boeing crew was coming into Sky Harbor International Airport and reported one of these massive craft over their tarmac. Another interesting aside is at 3 a.m. that evening, the next morning, there was a call to the National UFO Reporting Center by an alleged crewman from Luke Air Force Base to Peter Davenport, very detailed, very professional. In fact, we have some of that recording in our documentary so people can hear it firsthand, that jets were sent out from Luke Air Force Base to approach, get gun camera film and intercept one of these massive over-mile-wide craft hovering over central Phoenix at 8.30. As they got close, the light started to dim, and then the entire thing blinked out and disappeared, freaking out one of the pilots who this alleged crewman said he helped out of his aircraft. Now, that's just one little story. We're talking a 12-year study that hundreds of reports, two or more people had to see the same craft. It wasn't just one craft. It wasn't just one event. It wasn't just two events. It was many events for over a dozen hours over four states. Plus, after this 12-year study, it was discovered, and again, two or more people had to see the same craft, and they're very different, some of them. There were 10 different craft. If you go on the Phoenix Lights Network website, I really try to document everything. You know, we look for repeatability, not only in my pictures popping up in the same location, and that's another story. I hope we can get to that. But these craft, 
you will see illustrations and animations of the ten different craft. One of the craft actually split in two and shot straight up. As I mentioned earlier, many people saw these orbs detach from the main object, go out into the environment, and then redock with it later. Now, whether it was one craft that could morph and look different, or the perspective from where the person was standing, or a parade, which is ultimately, after 12 years of meticulous research, the investigators concluded that there was indeed a parade throughout four states for over a dozen hours of multiple UAP, unexplained aerial phenomena, these org formations, as well as craft from one to eight miles wide. So we're talking much more to this story than most people have ever heard. But the facts speak for themselves. I always say the data speaks for itself. Just look at it. If I can be a, a tiny voice so people actually look at the data, then I've done my job. Yeah. And at any rate, um, what, what is amazing is there is so much more to the story. So when you talk about these orbs um, and people try to blow the orbs away, there was much more to the story. And, and also how the story unfolded. I want to just get to that really briefly because... Oh, uh, can we take our mid-show break and then I want to get to a listener question. But we will we will continue. Good timing. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back with our great guest, Lynn Kitai. So stick with us. American colonists fought, sacrificed, and died to establish and preserve the freedoms now guaranteed to us by the Constitution of the United States. The right to privacy has come into the public's attention through various controversial Supreme Court rulings. Privacy is not specifically mentioned in the Constitution. But over the years, the Supreme Court has made decisions that have established the right to privacy as a basic human right. Know your rights and know what it says and does not say. This announcement was provided by the National Society Daughters of the American Revolution. To Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON Radio, AM and FM. And I'm flying solo today. Ben is uh, taking a well-deserved day off. And our guest today is Dr. Lynn Kitai, who is probably, certainly the leading expert on the bizarre Phoenix Lights phenomenon, which I saw myself from an airplane in 2007. So, uh, Lynn, can we uh, proceed with a question from uh, one of our listeners, uh, not only a listener, but, but an occasional guest co-host, uh, Peter Shelley in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Now, Peter has two questions for you. Uh, one, were, these, were there stories of MIBs, or men in black, in connection with the event, or were you or others contacted by government agents? Luckily, I've been very lucky <laughs> to contact with anyone. And again, I stayed anonymous. I really did. I stayed out of the picture. I had no interest in coming forward. This isn't about me. It's about the data. And I just wanted to do my homework. I knew nothing about this topic to begin with. So, uh, you know, I wanted to learn what was happening. It blew me away that I'm learning that this is happening worldwide, that other countries are much more open to these phenomena as being otherworldly, um, as well as the vast history. I mean, we could go into that for an hour of um, how these uh, phenomena were actually reported since the beginning of human documentation. Um, and certainly Foo Fighters in World War II were very similar. These orbs, uh, each side, the other side had this 
advanced technology, spy technology, and after the war when they tried to find out who had it, nobody could, um, as well as many, many other uh, poignant uh, sightings in, in Russia and uh, UK and Belgium, which is the actually the, the premier uh, model for what should happen. They got together with um, civilians and university and scientists and military to try to find uh, an answer to what these things are. Uh, and that's what should happen, and I think that it's slowly but surely happening here as well. Um, but to answer your question, actually there is a story, and I can't verify it, but uh, as the story unfolds, and this is, this is a, a major point here, there was no investigation, no explanation. And here, thousands upon thousands, I mean, we're estimated between ten to 20,000 people saw this. And it's a very, very important, not only the technology itself, but also how it affected people at a very deep level. I'm doing a study right now. Anyone that's on the website or can go to the Phoenix Lights Network website, to the landing page right underneath the triangle that's there is a, uh, and if anybody saw the Phoenix Lights, we certainly want to hear from you. Uh, but right underneath, and it's for anyone that has had any experience or just interested in UAP, uh, to find a quantitative, uh, credible analysis of how it affected people. Uh, we're doing this big, big, important study, and there's a link there to the uh, to the study. So I invite people, please, uh, to join us in that um, dedicated endeavor. But at any rate, as the story unfolded, it wasn't until May that a councilwoman, Vice Mayor of Phoenix, Frances Barwood, innocently, because she didn't see it, she just had so many of her constituents get in touch with her, it was like, well, she asked, why isn't there an investigation? Why isn't there an explanation? And suddenly, after nothing, <laughs> for, for months, suddenly we get, uh, the, she was plastered. I mean, I mean plastered in the media, made jokes of. Um, it wasn't pretty what would happen to people that, that did come forward. So anyway, that kind of put a lid on it for many people coming forward, including myself. But as the story unfolded, suddenly, and, and she has a story herself, okay, uh, after she did come forward then, there was a fella that came to her and said that he had video of an up-close craft, and she said that she would have someone pick it up, got in touch with her, and she called him up like a couple weeks later and said, you know, what happened? I didn't hear from you, and he said, well, somebody picked it up, and she says, well, I never sent anybody <laughs> and supposedly they were men in black that picked up the video. He had not made a, um, which is beyond me, he had not made a copy of it and just handed it over. He thought it was from Barwood's office. So that's the only men in black story that I've heard of. Okay. Uh, but unfortunately that video, if, it, if, it, if in fact it was real and, and came to be, um, was gone. Um, that's number one. Um, June 18th, out of nowhere, Front page USA Today article, for the first time, for the first time in all these months, suddenly the Phoenix Lights was giant news overnight. We didn't have social media then, and it went viral overnight. The next morning, not only was it on every national news station morning show, but Dan Rather, Peter Jennings, etc., and 
people from all over the world, journalists from all over the world, we were deluged by media who were speaking to the witnesses, and their stories were so detailed and so heartfelt. That, and that's the other thing, to get back to what you were saying before with a hoax or whatever. I mean, we're talking up close and personal. These people had the craft right above their heads. Some people said they could have thrown a rock at it. It was that close. Some people, we have a, a, um, a commercial airline pilot, a Vietnam pilot, in the documentary was right underneath what he called a cylinder with spinning energy. You would hear that a lot. And, I mean, how it affected people in real time and long term in and of itself, which I want to get to, uh, was mind-boggling because here the movie Independence Day had just come out six months before. It was very popular. And we're so inundated. We talk about this in the, in the documentary with threat, 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 and harm, harm, harm by the media and um, Hollywood that... Dr. Gary Schwartz, the head of the Consciousness Study Department at the University of Arizona, makes a very poignant statement. He says, if you're inundated with threat to something and fear of something, how do you think you're going to feel when you see that something? (laughs) So kids, particularly, who are the first ones to see it, usually, which is interesting in and of itself, um, would see this mile-wide being coming towards them of light. We're jumping up and down Independence Day, Independence Day, but... As it came closer, a calmness came over everyone, a connectedness to the phenomena that after it passed, they wanted to run after it. They wanted to to chase it. So in real time alone, there was a connectedness to this phenomena. Um, People got telepathic messages. I mean, that doesn't happen with hoaxes and holograms and flares and so forth. At any rate, that aside, long term also, which I hope we can get to, um, that people were changed forever. I still have people telling me uh, that they feel blessed to have had the experience. Important to note that there was not one, not one credible report in over 25 years now of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights phenomenon. I can't speak for other things, but I can for the Phoenix Lights and so that's very poignant in and of itself. And she was inundated, Frances Barr was inundated with over a thousand calls herself. And then the U.S. The Today article really opens up worldwide. The very next morning, on June 19th, after the USA Today article, suddenly, after nothing from the military or the government for months, we get an announcement, a public announcement, that um, the then Governor Fife Symington was calling an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon to reveal the culprit of the lights over Phoenix. And everybody took it seriously. And he comes marching out one of his aides in a giant alien head costume and made a mockery of the whole thing, which was not funny for the people who saw the real deal, especially parents who were with children that saw something uh, two and three moles wide, and he's making a joke out of it. But that... Also put a lid on it for a while, but not for me. Yeah, uh, it wasn't a joke for me. I saw these up close and personal, and again, I always go back to the '95 sighting. I have pictures of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, cloaking more pictures turned out later. But at any rate, um, I called every military base that month, got as high up as I could to find out what they knew. Now, I never met with them. I didn't tell them details about what I saw or documented on film. They were more interested in getting together with me to see what I documented than giving an explanation. In fact, they were just as curious. I had one 
Philatelma saying that whoever did this, uh, the only people that know who did this is God and whoever did it. Really? <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> anyway, I get a call. This is really interesting. A month later, after uh, the USA Today article on July 24th, from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard. And she says, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I said, you do? That's amazing. Um, what were they? She says, do you believe in all these months no one ever looked at the log for visiting Air National Guard? And the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off military illumination flares in Operation Snowbird, which I later found out meant diversionary tactical maneuvers in military terms. So flares may have been sent off, but I have to tell you, Paul, there isn't one witness, not one person that came forward to say that they saw flares. And I said to her, well, wait a minute. When was the Maryland Air National Guard in town? Here's where it starts getting interesting. She says March 1st to the 15th. I said, were they in town in January? She said, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well... My husband and I did see the same exact phenomena in the same exact location two months before the mass sighting. I even got pictures of it and called around the next morning, found air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport, saw the same thing at the same time over Class B restricted airspace at 1,000 feet altitude, January 97, and the morning after the mass sighting in the same location. She said, you never told me that. I said, besides... You're trying to tell me that flares, and by then I educated myself to anything logical or prosaic, that drift and drop with the wind have huge smoke trails. They're dropped from planes with, with, uh, on parachutes and have huge smoke trails that illuminate the, the flare itself and illuminate the ground. And not one person, not one person described that, those characteristics. And I said, and you're trying to tell me that flares that cannot keep information traverse the entire state in a rock-solid, equidistantly spaced, mile-wide V for hours? And she says, uh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you. I'm still waiting, Paul. I'm still waiting. Yeah, well, they didn't anyway. look like flares to me. Uh, well, anyway, three, wait, it gets better because three years later, three years later, um, we get an announcement because then Secretary of State, uh, I'm sorry, then uh, Francis Barwood, who was the former Phoenix Vice Mayor, was running for Secretary of State on a platform to get answers for the Phoenix Lights and asking for a reenactment, which was brilliant because, hey, you know, again, I'm a healthy skeptic. If it was them and they reenacted, hey, okay, I, that's what it was. Even though they denied it for months, and went right over people's heads, etc. Okay, and we're talking advanced technology that we have not seen ever. <laughs> okay, and you would think with the precariousness of the what's going on in the world, if we did have this kind of technology, or anyone did, that they would have shown themselves, okay, to show their prowess. But at any rate, we get an announcement, a public announcement, that three Air National Guards were coming into town. People don't know this. Right before the third anniversary of the Phoenix Lights mass sighting in 2000, three Air National Guards, they must have been practicing for, for weeks, 
And the video for what they did actually is on the news page on the Phoenix Lights Network website. If you scroll down, you'll see a box that says AZ Family, and you'll see exactly what they tried to do. They tried to make a triangle. It was upside down. It fell apart immediately. It had huge smoke trails, just what flares do. In fact, one of them kind of fizzled out immediately. Um, To date, the Phoenix Lights have never, never been recreated or explained, but they continue to appear worldwide. And right after the 10th anniversary, don't know why, but the former governor, Five Simons, who mocked the sighting in 97, came forward to disclose that he actually witnessed one of these massive craft. And as a military-awarded pilot, it definitely wasn't flares. He saw a craft. And in his own words, again, he used the word otherworldly. And another interesting aside, and then we can take some questions if you like or get into how it affected people. The morning after the mass sighting, I called the air traffic controllers again to confirm that it was the same exact phenomena over the same exact location, a thousand feet altitude over class B restricted airspace. And they did. Plus, they also shared that two commercial two pilots called in. One a commercial pilot who said, What the hell are these lights over me? on departure, which is really significant, and we're talking right over the tarmac, and a private pilot called in to report the six lights in a V, which is initially what I saw, and then it turned, and I got video of the three endpoints, massive over a mile wide. Didn't know who they were. I even mentioned it in the first edition of the book in 2004 that pilots called in because I thought that was really significant finally came forward, that private pilot finally came forward right after the Pentagon, the New York Times front page where the Pentagon announced that they were doing a $22 million study um, by Harry Reid of these UAP. And who is it other than the actor Kurt Russell, which is pretty cool because he was reporting these lights while I was filming it. So that's pretty neat. Well, there we, uh, we have a second question from Peter, but uh, we're almost out of time, and uh, it's involving many of the things you've been discussing, uh, other phenomena. Now, what is the very latest information you have? Certainly there have been dramatic UFO sightings witnessed by hundreds over the Sky Harbor Airport, which is not my favorite airport in the country. It's altogether too big, but it's very, very busy, and, uh, you know, you can't mistake these. And, and one of them shot up threw a cloud and made a hole in the cloud and this sort of thing. Uh, so what is the latest information on any of these, and do you think that was associated with the Phoenix Lights? Craft you know, I'm that? open-minded, again, <laughs> healthy skeptic here. Um, you know, I can't say for sure that it was the same phenomena. I know what I documented is what it is, and I hope people take a look at it. Not only is there so much to um, explore and consider on the Phoenix Lights Network website, including the homepage and the photo page, for sure, my unique collection, because I continued photographing these phenomena, and I've been seeing them, and I also see flares being deployed. In fact, right before the 10th anniversary, right before Governor Simonton came forward, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the military sent out a line, 
a huge line of flares. And you could tell immediately. I mean, not only through a camera, you could see the smoke trails and you could see that they're moving haphazardly downward. Um, and the news stations got zillions of calls because people said, well, they come back. Um, and I said, you know what? This is a wonderful, I'm an educator. This is a wonderful teaching moment where people can actually see the difference and learn the difference between flares and the true unknowns. So, um, yes, lights continue to appear. And now we're dealing with a lot more of uh, prosaic uh, data as far as uh, we have drones out there. We have satellites. Many people mistake the line of satellites from Starlink um, as, as being possible U UAP. So you really have to be discerning. And if you have 35 millimeter or uh, infrared, film that's even better to analyze these phenomena and to test and to see what they really are so um at any rate uh, there's a lot happening in our skies now that could be mistaken for uap so you really have to be careful and um really take your time as i did uh for seven years i mean i really was looking for a logical explanation which i have yet to find 25 years later but uh after pushing my uh, medical career aside and then having a 750-page journal of such credible data. I mean, I had no idea that these things were happening worldwide, that it's been happening for centuries and so forth. And the Native American connection, if I, if I can really briefly, another little coincidence, six months before the mass sighting, I was invited to present my substance abuse prevention education program to the Gila, G-I-L-A, Gila Bend Indian Reservation. They don't talk to outsiders, but I notice, and again in science, we look for repeatability, and you can just see for yourself, they're in the negative. <laughs> um, I notice that these phenomena keep popping up where South Mountain and the Estrays intersect, and that's where, in the basin there, is where their very sacred ground is, so I called him up. And I said, did anybody happen to see strange lights on March 13th? And he started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? And he said, are you kidding me? We've been looking up at them for centuries. Hmm. We call them sky people, light beings. It's part of their culture. I had no idea. It was the first I had ever heard of that. And I learned subsequently that not only are there uh, indigenous cultures worldwide that believe that there are other intelligences out there and visiting them, the Hopi even have protocols here in Arizona to invite these intelligences in, as well as he says to me, that's how the Estrellas got its name. I mean, star in Spanish, gateway to the stars. And not only are there petroglyphs, centuries-old drawings, one of them looks just like the triangle formation of three orbs that my husband and I saw, but they believe that there's a portal or gateway in that area. So really uh, interesting data that they believe these orbs may be spirit world coming to give them knowledge and comfort and inspiration, and I have to admit, Paul, I've been inspired to do this. I would have never chosen to do this, but it was so important, not only to set the record straight, ultimately, and I went back to work at Chief's Consultant at the Arizona Heart Institute Wellness and Imaging Center while I pared down the book to the most credible data that I could find, and um, then I thought, you know what? I'm just letting it all hang out there. I mean, there's so much more to this story, including witnesses that had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting. Hmm. That doesn't happen with planes and helicopters. Yes, <laughs> okay. I mean, so so what, what is your, um, are you working with any other people particularly, and what is the next step in your research? 
Well, right now I am working with two wonderful people, Russ Calcone and also doc, Dr. Russ Calcone and Dr. Brad Evans, who was a, a witness actually to one of these craft right above his head um, as he was coming up from Tucson. Uh, they're working with me on this survey uh, to find a really uh, quantitative analysis of the data of how these phenomena are affecting experiencers and not, you don't have to see something, but even if you're just interested in it, it's, if you have an open mind and an open heart, it opens you up to the wondrous possibilities, hopefully. And that's what the Phoenix Lights has done. Um, not only did I find, because I had a near-death experience as a child as well, it was reawakened, but I lay it out all out in the book. Um, but I thought, well, could there be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena, that have a mystical light? associated with the experience and that's part of this survey as well to find out how these other UAP and other paranormal experiences are affecting people that have them and when I started looking I started finding at university level the Omega Project which is about this thick by Dr. Kenneth Ring and Dr. John Mack at Harvard were actually studying and finding not only and I lay out very simply in the book a connection between all unexplained phenomena, very similar, it's mind-boggling when you look at the data, but the after-effect, the awakening, the enlightenment, the connectiveness that someone feels to the universe, to the earth, and to each other after they have what I start calling an up-experience, UP, unexplained phenomenon, up-experience, is so positive, so life-transforming, that that was another reason I had to come forward, to set the record straight, to let people know that they're not alone, uh, to let people know there's much more to this story, and I hope people will actually search it out um, in the book. Uh, it's in its fourth print, and I recommend the uh, e-book because it has color pictures and live links, and I keep adding chapters. I did not want to write another book as the publishers wanted me to because the first book was so important. I paired that 750 pages to 230 of the most credible data. So that's really important that people get to, to enjoy that and to learn from that. And it's helped other people transform, by the way, to a positive place. So uh, the book and the documentary, which, by the way, is free now on Tubi, if anybody has Tubi, G-U-B-I. And uh, I also have a uh, graphic novel activities coloring book, which is amazing, um, which has 80 crop circles to color and the um, 10 different craft to scale and activities uh, for all ages because I wanted the parents to be and grandparents to be able to do it with their kids, teachers to be able to do it in the classroom, which they are, and of course the study, and I'm going to be speaking as well at the um, International UFO Congress on Sunday, a workshop if anybody's in the neighborhood uh, in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, I'm doing a workshop on the inside Phoenix Light story because there is much more to this story. Paul, and thank you for letting me share the, the tip of the iceberg with your audience. Well, thank you so oh. much, Lynn. And the website, again, is thephoenixlights.net. Check it out. And the book I've read, it's really good. Uh, Lynn, thank you for being back. Uh, we hope it won't be another 10 years. It's my supreme pleasure, and the story continues to unfold, and I look forward to the next phase, and hopefully we'll find out who is driving these things. Outstanding. Okay, well, thanks again. So let's get to our announcements, folks. The Western Connecticut UFO Conference takes place in October. 
with both virtual and in-person events sponsored by the Danbury Public Library. We'll begin on this show on our Sunday, October 16th edition with a very special guest who will interact with the audience. Not sure who it's going to be yet. Uh, on Saturday, October 22nd, there will be a live presentation uh, at the library. Uh, ben and I plan to be there to present our program on time storms with thanks to the great British researcher Jenny Randalls, who coined that term. Uh, look for us also with the Para Expo 2023 from aboard the USS Salem at Quincy, Massachusetts, May 19th and 21st, 2023. Uh, we'll be among the speakers and we'll broadcast live from the ship on Sunday, May 21st. I know our producers are delighted to hear that. Um, visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find uh, over 1,100 hours of our regular show. And uh, next week, uh, we, let's see here. Yeah, we're going to be, have uh, welcome back author and researcher Joshua Cutchin for a look at his new mythology of death and the paranormal. And many thanks to the incomparable Dave Richards, who is filling in for Ben today and has uh, done our um, uh, production uh, activity for today. And it's Behind the Paranormal. I'm Paul Eno. Join us on our next show, and i um, getting lost here, but have a great time uh, this week, and we'll see you next week on Behind the Paranormal, for our great cosmic journey continues. Return to this radio frequency 100.